So back in March, I found myself uh, waking up in the morning, and I was just kind of down. I was slightly, I I wouldn't say, it wasn't a full-blown depression. I wasn't like totally uh, distraught, but I was still waking up in the morning and definitely, I would say I I had some depressed feelings. Uh, I was a bit just discouraged and there's actually a lot of really good things uh, going on in, in my life. I had just gotten back from an awesome trip to California with Neil, a conference we were at. I was uh, making some plans to propose at the time. I knew that was on the horizon and, and that was exciting. And but there were some things that were not going as well as maybe I would have liked. Uh, but I just, I just found this. I was kind of waking up. I was just kind of down. And Now, if you're here this morning and you lived through our past winter, you're probably thinking to yourself, uh, who didn't wake up? depressed in March. (laughs) And uh, that would be a valid response. Just want to let you know. Um, But an interesting thing happened. So this, this was going on for around two weeks or so. And, and I was just, I was sharing it with a trusted uh, counselor in my life. And um, in just just talking about this a little bit, uh, they shared just a couple thoughts on maybe some tweaks that I could make. Um, Some just mindset shifts, uh, some practical things that I could do throughout my day. Um, and, and then they're saying, let's, let's check back in in a week and see if that doesn't affect, affect anything. And something really interesting happened. Uh, not two, three days later from starting to just apply some of these sort of tweaks is the best way I can describe it, um, to the way I was thinking, the way I was walking and living, uh, I started to wake up and, and I would be waking up with a smile on my face. And I was actually waking up with more joy in, in my heart. I was waking up feeling a lot uh, less of this pit feeling in my gut. And, and that was before. I mean, today is when our winter has ended. I mean, basically. And so that was before the winter season, the gray season, uh, the seasonal affective disorder season had ended. And, and I found it really interesting. And so since then, uh, there have been days where I've looked at the five-day forecast, and that feeling has come on me. But then I was able to apply some of those mindset shifts, kind of that uh, tweak some things, um, and and found that there was a joy that was in me that I was really able to walk in. And much of this past uh, late winter, spring, kind of since that time, has been a season of uh, actually real significant joy in my life. And I can point directly back to some of those kind of tweaks, if you will, uh, that took place in my life. I don't know if you've ever uh, experienced something like that, uh, maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, gosh, John, I don't know if I've experienced that per se, but I'd love to, (laughs) I'd love to get access to some of that joy. Uh, I'd love to not have my circumstances, uh, dictating the level of joy that I walk in. Um, you know, I, I find that in the Bible, there's all these promises for fullness of joy and this real, um, exuberant life that we get to live. 
And, but it, it seems like joy for Christians, at least I find this oftentimes, is, is that thing that all of us would love to have more of, but most of us don't really know how to get. It's kind of like, gosh, I would love to have more of joy. Of course, yeah. Uh, I, I don't really live there, though. Like, that's pretty tough. I, and to be honest, I'm not really sure how I get there. And John, one last, just to be honest, moment. Um, I just I like speaking, you know, as, as you guys. Uh, one last of those moments is uh, I actually get kind of it, more discouraged thinking about trying to get more joy. Because it just makes me think, I will probably try and then I'll just find myself still in this place of discouraged, depressed, despair, anguish, whatever, whatever have you. Uh, so I was kind of thinking about this because it's played a significant role in my life, even over the past couple months. And so as we're in this uh, red letter edition series this summer, we're looking at uh, some of the spots in the Bible where Jesus specifically speaks so in, those, in the Gospels, when Jesus is speaking, and so I thought, I wonder what he has to say about joy and this area of how do we get more joy in our lives. So we're going to look from John 16 to see what Jesus has to say about how we can experience and access some more joy in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 16, 16 to 24. It's going to be the main portion that we're in here. Uh, It'll also be up on the screen, so you can follow along there. So again, John 16, 16 to 24. These are some of Jesus' last words uh, before going to be crucified. So, kind of intense. You wouldn't typically think that joy would be anywhere close to a person's lips if they were on their way to be crucified. So this is what he says. Hang with me on the first couple verses too. It's kind of like a tongue twister in some ways. But Okay, so verse 16. Jesus says, A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while... And you will see me, not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And he also says, because I'm going to the Father. Uh, so they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We don't, we don't know what he's talking about. So Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, isn't that good? Sometimes when we have these questions and we don't even ask him He comes to us and initiates. It's amazing. So he says, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, what I meant when I said, A little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me. So now Jesus answers that. And he kind of explains. Truly, truly, I say to you, You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, 
But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full." So, disciples are there. Jesus is saying, I'm going to, you'll see me then, now, and then, you, hey, you're not going to see me for a little bit, and then you're going to see me again. And they're like, okay, I'm not exactly sure what he's talking about. So they're saying, what does he mean by this? And then Jesus uh, is aware that they're wondering about this. And so he, he comes and he, he basically, I find it interesting, if, if you can put yourself in that situation uh, to be thinking about, I wonder what the disciples were thinking. I wonder what Jesus was thinking. And I find it interesting that the way that Jesus explains that season um, of what it's going to be like when they don't experience him, when Jesus has been crucified and he's gone for three days, he's basically prophesying into their lives, saying, hey, I want to let you know beforehand this is what it's going to be like. This is what you're going to experience because I know your heart. But this is what's going to happen. So hold on for that breakthrough. Hold on for what's going to happen. Jesus often does that in our lives. He speaks into our lives to prepare us for what's going to come. And so he's doing this to the disciples. And he's, I find it interesting. He's describing that season by saying, I'm going to leave you and you're going to experience a lot of sorrow, a lot of anguish. Uh, a lot of grief, but joy is coming. When I come back again, you'll experience lots of joy. So I was thinking about this, and Jesus, so, so the disciples have just walked with God in flesh. So God becomes a person in Jesus. And, you know, I immediately think of, in this context, something like Psalm sixteen eleven. It says, in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. So the disciples have been living in fullness of joy. They've been living in the very presence of God for like three years. And so it's interesting, as Jesus is about to leave them, I think, yes, it's kind of intense when your master gets crucified, but there's also an element here where it's by them not being with Jesus, Jesus knows that what they're going to experience is kind of like the void of joy. Because they've just been walking with the personification of joy. Because that's what Jesus is. He is joy personified. So I, I call this, in my own life, because I've kind of thought about this, this feeling of, of the void of joy. So I call that the joy void. I don't know if you've ever experienced or felt a joy void in your life. But it's that time where like the disciples were experiencing when Jesus had left, uh, this, as he describes it, a sorrow, an anguish, a depressed, uh, you know, that kind of thing in life. Now what we're going to look at, though, is how do we destroy the joy void? Because Jesus says something interesting in verse 22. Uh, again, this was to his disciples. He says, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. No one will take your joy from you. 
So then Jesus was with them for 40 days, and nothing, and then he, he went up into heaven to be with the Father, sends the Spirit so that God is with us uh, in the present at every moment, at every time. And nothing in Scripture seems to indicate that that prophecy there, that's what it is, that your joy will never be taken from you. Nothing in Scripture indicates that that prophetic word over the disciples ended at the end of those 40 days. That this was a prophetic word to his disciples who had experienced the risen Lord Jesus that no one would ever take their joy from them. And then we have on throughout the New Testament all this stuff, uh, all this writing about experiencing joy. So again, then we can read into this and say, man, what's going on? I don't fully experience that. Uh, before we get into some of the practicals from this passage on how do we destroy the joy void, there's one important mindset shift I want to address first. And that is that really this whole business of the joy void, I believe that it's actually a myth. We can call it the myth of the joy void. And the myth is that when you don't experience joy, you're, it's not actually that you don't have joy. This is one of those places in scripture where it has everything to do with our identity in Christ and who we are before God and dictating and deciding who we are coming from how God sees us and what he speaks over our lives being the determining factor for the way we live, how we view ourselves and how we view others. It's kind of like acceptance. Uh, scripture's clear. We are fully accepted in Christ. And yet, I don't know about you, but I don't always feel accepted. There are times where I feel very rejected. And yet what is true about my life is that I am accepted. But if I don't know that I'm accepted, there's a good chance I'm going to hang around in that rejection a lot longer than I need to. But if my, my go-to is, whoa, I just experienced rejection, but I am fully accepted by my Father. And that's the place I come back to. Like, like Paul says, renewing your mind, transforming your mind. That's going to have an impact and a transforming effect on your life. And so it's a similar way where we are a people who have joy in us because the Holy Spirit lives in us. But the, the lie that comes in is that there's no joy. I don't have any joy. It's not in me. It's gone. Like I don't, I, this joy void is now becoming the main thing in my life. Now, I'm not saying what you experience in that joy void isn't very real. It, it, it may be very real, but it's not true. And we have to learn to see the difference between things that are real and experiences in our feelings and our emotions and actually what's true, which even which circumstances, even our past isn't what's true about our lives. No, that's <clears throat> I can't go on any longer on that. So how do we access the joy. So how do we kill the joy void in our lives? How do we live it out? The first thing that I want to uh, recommend that I think comes from this passage is that we need to remember the resurrection. Okay, so remember the resurrection. Because what's going on in this passage in John 16 here is, is Jesus is saying, you're going to experience a significant joy void while I'm not with you. But then I will come and then your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. 
So I read that and say, no one. That means no one can take that joy. There's going to be attacks. There's going to be things that will come to try and make me think that I don't have any joy, where I won't be able to feel any joy. But I need to remember the significance of the resurrection because that was the key for the disciples walking out the rest of their lives in joy was to see Jesus. Now, we don't necessarily get to see Jesus risen from the dead right here, right now. But what does the resurrection kind of symbolize or what's the significance of it? And it's this, that Jesus is still alive. It's he has risen. It's not that he rose, he has risen. So Jesus is still alive. Uh, That's why he can say, many of us are familiar with the Great Commission. That's why he can say, I will be with you always, even till the end of the age. So Jesus, not in the physical flesh form of with the disciples, but by his spirit, he is just as alive, just as risen for each one of us in this room. As we live our lives and as we go about our days, days. And so that joy void, uh, Jesus wants to come in contact with that joy void, the feeling that we have of this void of joy and to bring his presence because he is alive and he's with us. And we, as we come to this place of realizing, wait, he, he, he rose and we don't remember just that he rose, but that he has risen and he is still alive. So this is significant. I want to tell you a story where Jesus made this idea really personal to someone that I was with recently. So, well, it was a little while back. I was counseling a college student, and this student was expressing that they were having trouble um, connecting with God. They were having trouble spending time with Him because, um, as, as they described it, it felt like they were constantly bringing a report card before God, and it was just never good enough. And, and they're like, so I'm, I'm having trouble spending time with the Lord. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, like that would be hard if, if you, if we viewed God and believed that every time we were coming before him, we had to show him a report card. And the thing going through our mind is all the ways I've failed. You know, who here got excited about showing your parents D's and F's or C's or, you know, whatever. Um, and so this is kind of what's being expressed. And so. So, because I had no idea what to do in that situation, I said, let's pray about this. Uh, we're, we'll just go straight to Jesus. Yeah, I'm remember- he is alive. He, has resur- he is resurrected. So, let's go to him. So, so we start praying. And the student, um, as, as we're praying, he sees himself holding the report card. And Jesus is in view, uh, in, his, in his mind, kind of as he's praying. And so, he shares this with me. And I'm like, oh, that's that's interesting. Um, hey, well, why don't you, why don't you, if you'd be willing, why don't you take it in your mind there, like what you're seeing as you pray? Why don't you take it to Jesus and see what he does with it? And so he goes, okay. So he takes it to Jesus. Well, so from my vantage point, I'm sitting there and uh, he's not reiterating what's happening. And tears just start to come down his face. He's just sitting there and he just starts to weep. He just starts to cry. And um, so I just ask, hey, what's, what's, what are you seeing? Are you seeing anything? What, what's God doing? He says, well, I, I took the report card. I handed it to Jesus. And he went, over to the, he went over to the cross 
He nailed it on the cross, came over to me, put a white robe around me, put his arm around me, sat down next to me, and is just smiling in my face. And I'm being like, oh, okay. <laughs> that'll, that'll do. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Um, the reason I share this story is we need to remember that he's not still on the cross. He's alive. He's resurrected. And he took all the things that would rob us of joy, that would steal our joy, and nailed them to the cross. And he wants to come and be with us and smile at us and sit with us, put a robe on her of white around us and hug us and be with us. This gets us into the next important lesson here. And that is we need to learn, uh, or not learn, but we need to respond to his word. We need to respond to his voice. So if it, it, it seems to work that if Jesus is still alive, that he's also wanting to still speak. I'm just going to jump real quickly to John 15, verse 11 here. It says, These things I have spoken to you. It's kind of in the same conversation with the disciples. And he's saying, These things I have spoken to you. That my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Okay. This is one of those places we need to let scripture define what we're talking about in our experience and not our circumstances, our past, our feelings. Jesus is saying to his disciples, um, and we can make a case in lots of other ways that when he's speaking it to the disciples, he's speaking it so that they are then passing it on. And that's the experience of every disciple and follower from there on out. He's saying, I'm speaking these things to you that my joy, this is Jesus's joy, fully God and fully human, full joy. He's saying my joy would be in you and you would have it to the full. Again, I'm aware that that's not all of our current experience. That's not my experience in my life. But if this is what Jesus is saying, a disciple walks in, I want to figure out, how do I get there? How do I walk in this? How do I live this out? And so he's saying, these things I have spoken to you, which is what seems to lead to this, to this joy. Now, Jesus just can't stop talking about joy in this kind of final section before he goes to the cross, which is just amazing. So John 17, 13 says this, but now I am coming. Oh, so he's praying actually to God at this point. He's praying to the father. He says, but now I'm coming to you. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. See that connection again, that I speak while I'm in the world. And so it's the things that Jesus is speaking so that my joy would be fulfilled in them. Then you can jump down to 16. It says, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the, wor- into the world. Okay, so we've got this. He's talking a lot about joy. Talking about these words, his words that he speaks to them. Uh, So his word, there's a connection here between the word of Jesus and fullness of joy. I hope you can see that. Jesus saying, I've spoken these words so that they'll experience full joy. So 
I start thinking, hmm, that's interesting. Uh, he, he also mentions that there's an evil one. He prays that the evil one wouldn't have access to their lives. Now, what do we know about the enemy, the evil one? What's his main tactic, the main way that he lives, the main way that he operates? Lies. It says that he is the father of lies. It's his native language to lie. And so we are coming, uh, we, we live in a world where there is an enemy who's wanting to lie to us. And so different lies will come in pretty regularly, at least I find throughout the course of my day. And these lies want to rob me of usually two things. My, how a, a right view of myself and a right view of God. Because what else does scripture call the enemy? It calls him the accuser. And so what the enemy is constantly doing over our lives is he's accusing you and he's accusing other people in your lives, and he's accusing God. And so he's making accusations against God and trying to drop them in your mind. Yeah, look at that. God's not good. How could he be good when this sort of thing happens? How could... Man, God is so... Just don't think that God's so... Like, don't, don't live your life that Jesus took the report card and nailed it to the cross. Instead, why don't you feel really bad about all those ways that you've messed up and you haven't lived up? And Because God's not going to receive you. He's not going to receive you in the midst of all that stuff. The enemy is wanting to so make our joy void this thing that consumes us. This thing that becomes way greater than it really is. And Now, what isn't going to work is just to muster up. I need joy. I'm going to make myself be joyful. I need more joy. Ah, That's going to be the spiral, most likely, to more discouragement, more being depressed, that sort of thing. But if we can start positioning ourselves, when we start feeling things that start robbing us of joy, start coming against us, and start creating what I'm referring to as this joy void, if we can turn our attention to His Word, to his voice. Two ways to do that primarily is uh, scripture. So much good stuff in scripture where God is wanting to bring about his word of truth so that we can combat those lies pretty quickly. So he starts, you know, kind of coming against something and there is no condemnation for me in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. This is awesome. Like, there's no condemnation. Sorry, pal. No condemnation. Because I'll tell you what, condemnation will rob you of joy. And so, if we could just, you know, saturating ourselves in here so we can have this baseline. The other is that, as we said, Jesus is still alive. And so, he's still speaking. He sent his spirit to be the spirit of truth. And so the more we can learn to bring those lies and listen to the Holy Spirit, to ask Father questions. What's actually going on here? Oh, that's so helpful. What is actually going on here? So I had, a mo- I had an experience a couple months ago that, like, everything's a couple months ago. Well, that's just my, I'm not giving a specific time frame. So it was a little while ago. Um, I had an experience where I was really feeling like a failure. Um, I had an an exchange with a person, and as a result, I I was like, 
I was feeling like a failure. It was, it was pretty intense. Uh, but even at first, I wasn't positive that I didn't know that's exactly what was going on. What I did know was going on was I did not feel joy. <laughs> I did not feel joy at all. Uh, so I went to the Lord, though, about this. Um, and as I did, I felt like he highlighted this area. Well, one of the reasons that you're feeling so miserable and hurt right now is because you feel like um, what's been or kind of spoken over your life is that you're a failure. And you're taking that mindset that you're actually a failure. And so, John, if you're a failure, uh, you have a good reason to be discouraged. It's, failure doesn't breed encouragement. But I felt like God said this thing to me. And he said, but John, in the kingdom of God, you're not a failure. And that just, that just like, it got down to that place, uh, that, that lie of that joy void that was developing. And, in the, and, and I had a 180 degree swing. But you know, it didn't come actually until I started to sing it. And that's another, another whole, the power of singing things over your life. Um, but I'm actually going to sing for you the song that the Lord gave me and, uh, you can join in if you feel like you need this, but what, what the Lord put in my spirit. And I just felt like I had to get it to him and just had to start singing it over my life. Some of you are like, please plug my ears. Oh my gosh, what's going on? No. Um, and, but basically it was just, I am not a failure in the kingdom of God. I am not a failure in the kingdom of God. I am not a failure in the kingdom of God. I am not a failure in the kingdom of God. And then I felt like um, he just, he started to give me more words. And as I'm singing, he's like, I want you to sing this, John. And I'm just like, I am full of joy in the kingdom of God. I am full of joy in the kingdom of God. And something shifted in me. Something changed. I mean, we're talking, I'm not going into all the details here, but there was a shift from intense discouragement and despair over thinking that I was a failure to like giddy with joy that I'm not a failure in like whatever that experience spoke over my life. I just heard the voice of the father speak that I'm not a failure in the kingdom. So I want to grow. I want to learn. But isn't this like, I'm not a failure. This is so good. And, uh, and then as a result, like in the kingdom, I'm, I'm full of joy. And so I took that and I started to speak it over my life as identity, as who I am. So we need to respond to his word. There are so many lies. I couldn't even come close to addressing each and every one in a sermon. But, but what I want to encourage you is when you feel the joy void coming on and you're tempted to think that your feelings are the deepest part of who you are, which is one of the great lies of, of the enemy in this generation, is that your feelings are not actually the deepest part of who you are. There's all sorts of other parts of who you are, like a will and a mind. And it, there's a number of other things. And so your feelings are not. So when you're tempted to believe that this joy void that I am starting to feel is the deepest part of who I am. I'm stuck here. I want you to turn 
to the Lord and hear the truth that he starts speaking over your life into that area. But it is really, really hard if there's not a baseline of saturation in God's word and the the truth of who he's speaking over you and if there's never that point of actually coming to him and saying, Papa, I need to hear what you think about me. I'm hearing a lot of lies right now. Uh, I, what's going on here? So this brings us to our third and final point. Right there on the edge of your seat with that. And it is this. That we can receive what we ask for. That if you ask your papa... I'll kick you to Brian's sermon a couple weeks ago. If you ask your papa for his perspective into your joy void, into what feels like your joy void, he's going to come back with a response. It's actually what he says in verse 24, and it's one of the keys to the life of full joy. It says, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be A lot of times we read this and we think of material possessions and then we go off on, at least this is me, some theological question about, well, what if I ask for a a car or all these things? I want to focus this in on matters of the heart this morning. If there's a place in your heart where you have a need and you want to bring something before the Lord and you want to ask something for him, from him, he will Bring that. He will respond. This is what he says. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. It's one of the hardest things to do when the joy void is just growing and it feels like it's getting bigger and bigger. So maybe you need to rope someone else in to the process and say, oh my gosh, my joy void is really difficult right now. I'm having trouble going to God and actually asking for the for the, whatever it is you need on the heart level. Rope someone in so that they can be hearing from God on your behalf, so that they can be asking with you, so that they can be agreeing with you for that thing. I'm not saying this stuff is easy. Actually, it's really difficult to know how to preach this because it can be really complicated. How do we get back to that place of joy? So we're trying to eliminate the complication and say, if we can remember the resurrection, remember that he's still alive. And he's still with you. He's right next to you, even when you don't see him and you don't think he is. He's speaking. He's still alive and he's still speaking. And it's actually the words that he's speaking that are the key to walking in the joy that is yours. And then, from what he's speaking, there's this exchange where you then come before Papa and you ask him. For, for the things that he might be promising. You ask him to, um, if, you're, if you're experiencing loneliness, you ask him, I need, I need to feel that acceptance. Uh, I need to feel your joy. Uh, just be prepared to sing if, uh, if you're going to come before him like that because he might make you sing it out. Um, so we're going to close our time um, with communion this morning. 